definition of a little big shot, if you know what I mean. Well, we have been in this series uh, for the last uh, three weeks now on little big shots, these Old Testament characters that were young and God used in some powerful way, and we're going to go right into another one today. And we're going to talk about the call of God on people's lives. Now, God sometimes calls people very specifically into very important leadership roles. Now, the Bible teaches that everyone is called to be saved. It's God's desire that nobody would perish, but everybody would come to repentance. But sometimes God has this critical assignment uh, to fulfill, and so he'll call someone specifically. When God needed a carpenter to build an ark to preserve a remnant of civilization from the flood, he called Noah. And when he needed a special father to begin a distinctive race throughout whom the Messiah would come, he called Abraham. And when he needed an administrator to lead Egypt through the famine so the descendants of Abraham could survive, he called Joseph. Needed a bold deliverer to free the Israelites from slavery, he called Moses. Needed a wise judge to maintain the justice in the promised land, he called Deborah. When he needed a godly king to rule Israel, he called David. When he needed a beauty queen who would use her influence to spare the Jews when threatened with extinction, he called Esther. When he called a virgin to give birth to the Messiah, he called Mary. And when he needed an ambassador to the Gentiles, he called the Apostle Paul. And there were times where God just stepped into human reality and said, I'm calling you to a specific task. And friends, I really believe that God still calls people to significant roles today, both in the church and outside the church. God calls from time to time a certain political leader or a judge or a teacher or a coach or broadcaster or writer or musician or CEO. Perhaps some of you have been called by God specifically where you are to make an incredible difference for the kingdom. The Bible teaches us to walk our, in our lives worthy of the calling we've received and to make our calling and election sure. So today we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 3, and this, cha- this chapter records uh, a young person who was called by God for a very specific task. His name is Samuel, and the first thing we're going to learn about him is God sometimes calls us at a very young age. Listen to the scripture here in verse 1. The boy Samuel ministered before the Lord and under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare, and there were not many visions. Now, in those days refers to the time of the judges in the Old Testament between the time Joshua entered the promised land and Saul was anointed king. There was this time where Israel needed leaders, and they were called judges, period about 300 years. And during that time period of the judges, there are only five recorded revelations from God. Now, perhaps the reason for that is that maybe the nation was mostly in spiritual rebellion, and when that was happening, God wasn't talking a whole lot. The Bible says there were no king in Israel, and everyone did as he saw fit. Everybody just did their own thing. It was just chaos all the time. And in those moments, God just took a little pause and then specifically called a few leaders to come help out. You know, I'm seeing some chaos in our world today, too. Uh, Just this week, we're seeing the lives of police officers targeted in our streets. And on one hand, the media and even some local politicians seem to, to, to be in opposition to the police. And so we're seeing more and more police officers in large cities who are kind of pausing in moments where normally they would have just reacted. Now they're pausing. And what's happening is the chaos in our streets is becoming more and more and more obvious. You see, in every society, there has to be some type of authority. 
And what we saw in Israel's life during this time was that there was very little authority from time to time, and the people lived in more and more rebellion against God and against society. The Bible says, in those days the word of the Lord was rare, but the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord. Samuel's history, was, his mother was Hannah. She was uh, really just told God, if, God, if you just give me a child, I'll, I'll just do anything. I will present this child before you. I'll allow this child to, to come. I, I, will, I will have this child work in the temple as a servant of the Lord. And sure enough, God was faithful to his promise, and he gave Hannah Samuel, and God was faithful uh, as well, and, Sam, and Hannah was faithful to God too. So she brought this boy right after he had been weaned to the temple to serve the Lord. So now he's no longer a child but a boy, performing his daily duties in the temple. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says Samuel was 12 at this time. The young boy Samuel had grown up in the temple at Shiloh. He lived and he slept there. You know, I know a lot of spiritual leaders today who grew up in the local church. That's not true of all of them. But many times you'll have a preacher's kid and they'll have preacher's kids. My grandfather uh, was a farmer and uh, he just prayed, God, if you give us children, if you just give us children, I'll make sure that as many of them as possible are ministers of the gospel. And this was a man who had an eighth grade education, and, uh, but he, he, he didn't grow up in the church, but at 16 years old he decided he probably needed, needed the church, he needed the Lord. And so he went down to the local church, and, and he, he became a member there, and, and he was baptized in the local church. And, and then it wasn't very long before they made him a deacon. He said, I don't know what a deacon is, but I'll, I'll be one if you want me to be one. And, uh, and then the next year, the same lady that nominated him to be deacon said, I'd like to nominate him to be an elder. He said, I didn't really know too much about what an elder was either. He said, they made me one. Not only that, they made me chairman of the board, you know. And, uh, and so that was our history. And so he began to pray, God, give us preachers. And now uh, he used to say his twin boys were preachers. Uh, my brother's a preacher, I'm a preacher, Sherry's in ministry. Now he has the next generation coming on in a way that he doesn't even know. I have a cousin, one of his grandchildren, that has four or five of her children that are heading directly or already into ministry. And here he has this legacy of Christian leadership. That's because he prayed for it. That's because he, he told him, hey, I think this will be a good goal for your life. Now, there are some advantages to grow up in the church like that. One advantage is God's word is root, rooted deeply in your heart. When you're a child that grows up in the church, or maybe you're a, a preacher's kid, or, or maybe you're an elder's kid or something, God's word is, is deeply embedded in your heart from a young age. That stays with you for the rest of your life. Another advantage is you're, you're, you're spared the consequences at times of those nastier or more disgusting sins. Jude says that God is able to keep you from falling, and many who grew up in the church maybe maybe made decisions to never overdose on drug or get arrested for drunk driving or father child out of wedlock or things like this. And while you weren't perfect, many times you grew up in that kind of history, you're kept from falling into, in, into deep sin. Another advantage is that you feel comfortable in the church and in spiritual surroundings. People who never went to church are often ill at ease when first coming to church. But uh, as a kid growing up in church, boy, you're, you're able to just feel comfortable in church. That's a, I think that's a positive. But if you grew up in a church, it doesn't intimidate you to walk in and and uh, you just feel very comfortable here's another advantage of helping our children grow up early in the church you have an exposure to heroes of the faith when I was young growing up in North Carolina there were many times that we would house 
preachers who were coming through on revivals or missionaries or things like this. And so we got to have exposure to other Christian leaders that were really doing just incredible things for the kingdom of God. Here's another advantage. If you grew up in the church, your chances of becoming a Christian are greatly enhanced. Respected researcher George Barna wrote in a recent book, social scientists have known for years that the moral foundations of children are generally determined by the time they reach age nine. If you grow up in church, it is far more likely that you will come to faith in your life, that you'll accept Christ. And uh, that happens because you grew up in a, in a, in a society or in a, in a Christian worldview. But if you grew up in the church, you also need to be aware of some kind of challenges. And you parents need to be aware of these for your kids because this can happen sometimes. When you're around church from a very young age, there can be over-familiarity. While God's word is rooted deeply in your heart, you can almost become too familiar with the sacred. Eli's sons in this scripture uh, were actually so familiar that they, that they lost the mystique, the holiness of God. If you grew up as an altar boy or a preacher's kid or a junior choir member, you may have played in the baptistry or sneaked some extra communion or clowned with the Bible or made up funny words to hymns. Uh, and somewhere along the way, the sacredness of it all kind of got lost. You can get so familiar with Jesus that it takes a tremendous amount to become in awe of God any longer. Another disadvantage sometimes of growing up in the church is that you feel cheated. I, I know some cradle Christians who grew up feeling like, man, I missed out on some big sins. I kind of would have liked to have done those sins. And, uh, and they'd say, I'd really live it up. But they forget the positive side. And while we feel comfortable in church, some grow up in the Lord, they feel uncomfortable with people who are not Christians. There's this Christian kind of subculture that happens sometimes when you grow up in the church and all of your relationships are church people. If somebody's swearing around you or drinking around you or partying around you, you feel like, man, I don't even know what to say. And uh, you just kind of regard them as opponents to the gospel rather than seeing them as real people who just have real relationships that you really would love to get to know. So while it's an advantage to be exposed to, to, to Christianity at an early age, sometimes we can also find that there are some, some, some challenges that we have to kind of work through. But here is Samuel. And Samuel in his life was called at a young age to be faithful to the Lord. And I, I pray that our children are able to be faithful to the Lord. And, and, um, and I think you as parents should be leading that direction. If your child says, I don't really want to go today. I don't feel like going to church or what have you. I think we as parents should be, hey, listen, this is so important. I mean, this is so critical to our family. And, I, and I, I would love for you to be a part. And if they're younger, of course, they're coming with us anyway. And, and uh, be encouraging to your children. Put them in places. Send them to camp. Put them in places that we call thin places where this side of heaven and that side of heaven almost seem to touch one another. Those moments where we just seem so close to God, you have to put your children in moments like that too where they get that opportunity to just feel that closeness between them and the Lord. But here's another thing we see in 1 Samuel 3, and that is that God sometimes calls in dramatic ways. Listen to the verse. One night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. Evidently, it was early morning when the flame would grow dim. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was. I mean, talk about being around the, the sacred. And being familiar with it, here Samuel is sleeping in the room with the Ark of the Covenant. And then the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, Eli, you called me. But Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lie down. So he went down and laid down. And again the Lord said, Samuel. 
And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call you, go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. He knew about God, but he didn't have that personal kind of relationship with God, that experience with him. Verse 8 and follow reads, the Lord called Samuel the third time, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, here I am, you called me. And then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down, and if he calls you again, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. You know, his heart was pumping, his ears were perked up, his eyes were wide open, he was ready. And the Lord called again and stood there. And calling as at other times, Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel heard that voice again. The hair on his arms must have stood up. His face tingled and the Samuel stuttered, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. This is quite a dramatic moment. Agree? I mean, anytime God shows up in your bedroom in the morning, the wee hours, and says, Listen, I'm, I, I'm calling you. Man, that is a dramatic moment. And now, I, I, most of my experience, really, has it been that God hasn't come quite that dramatically? I mean, God called Moses dramatically in a voice of a burning bush, but he called David undramatically through the quiet anointing at his home. He called Mary dramatically through a visit from the angel, but he called Esther through the winning of a beauty contest. God does call people, but he calls in his way, in his time, in his approach. So don't always look for the dramatic. Sometimes God, most of the time, calls in kind of quiet, unassuming ways. I remember when I was uh, eight years old and everybody else was around the room. It was second grade. What do you got? What do you want to be when you grow up? They said, and everybody else was like policeman, fireman. I was like, I want to be a preacher. You know, at eight years old, and I was like, okay, it's a little weird, you know, but okay, good. Luckily, she didn't shut that down, and that was good. And I grew up a little bit more. My mom said, Where do you, What do you want to do when you grow up? And I was like, I'd like to go to High Point College, which happened to be a local college. It wasn't a Bible college. I'd like to go to High Point College and preach around a little bit. That was the phrase I used. I want to preach around a little bit. Uh, what I found is that God used those things. Now, there was a time in my life where in high school I sort of went away from that. Not, not that I went away from the calling, but that I sort of drifted a bit. And in my mind I thought, I need to go back to that at some point. But uh, when I went into college, I remember I was, got down with my mom and and I was talking to her, and I said, Mom, I, I think God really is calling me to ministry. Here's what she asked. She said, Stephen, um, she's real serious about this time. She said, uh, you could do anything else in your life. Would you do it? I mean, could you do anything else in your life and be, and be fulfilled? I said, because she said, it's going to be the hardest thing you've ever done. You're going to be challenged emotionally and spiritually and with people, and it's going to be hard. It's also going to be great joy. She said, can you do anything else and be fulfilled? I said, no. And she said, okay, then you know you're called. And you need to remember that moment. Remember this conversation because when it gets difficult, you have to lean back on that calling from God that says, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is what you're supposed to do. And I've had God call us at other moments in our spiritual journey. I remember when we were uh, 2007, and it was prior to ever thinking about planting a church. At least I, I hadn't been thinking about it in recent years. And and, and God kind of laid it upon Lisa's heart. We were at a conference, and, and a, a speaker was preaching on the topic of going to plant churches. 
And she's beginning to feel like God's calling us to do this. It's in her heart. She's beginning to feel that moment of, with God. And as we're walking down the hallway that night, we're heading to a, a dinner afterwards. And one random man, she still can vividly describe him to you, walks right up to her just on the heels of that sermon. Walks right up to her, points right at me, and goes, now there's a church planner for you. And walks on. And about 11.30 at night that night, she said, um, we're in the hotel room. She said, I just need to let you know something. I, I think God's calling us to plant a church. And I, I was like, are you sure about that? I don't, I don't really, what, what, tell me what. And she said, this happened and this happened. And I'm just feeling in my spirit. I think, so the reason Axis Church is here, I think, has a lot more to do with her intuition than fit here from the Lord on that. And then later, mine. I've had God uh, call and um, have moments with God in particular on Sunday mornings. I don't know why this is, but over the years I have experienced that no matter the preparation that has gone into the message, there will be something right as I wake up Sunday morning. I mean, the moment I wake up and I've learned to keep my phone close by or a notepad because whatever God told me right then in that, in that moment or in that dream really needs to happen because it might be the defining moment in that message. It might be a phrase. It might be an idea. It might be a scripture that comes out in some way. And this has happened time and time again. Well, I wake up on Sunday morning with that one moment, that one thing that God wanted me to say more than anything else. I wouldn't call it dramatic, but I would say it's effective. And I didn't hear it years ago. And I've learned that I need to be aware of what God is saying. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. Sometimes God's calling is dramatic. Sometimes it's not. But you've got to be faithful and you've got to trust Him, even if you don't understand how it's working out. Years ago, I heard of a, a young single woman who was born about to fulfill her lifelong dream of becoming a missionary to China. She was the oldest of seven children, but had paid her way through college and had raised the necessary support. Now she was minutes away from going to be shipped off to China when she received a message that her mother had taken ill and died. She was brokenhearted both for her mother and for her calling. She returned home for the funeral, and then she realized she needed to stay home and help her dad take care of her younger brothers and sisters. She tried not to be bitter. She tried to accept God's will, but it was tough. She spent a good portion of her life raising her siblings. She never married. She never went to China, and it seemed like for a while her life was wasted. But two of her brothers became very effective preachers. Two of her sisters became godly missionaries, one with great, a great ministry in China. And in her latter years, she understood that God had called her really to be a second mother, that he had used her life and that implanted idea of being a missionary to impact her brothers and sisters. And God multiplied that effort that she would have had, sent it on to her brothers and sisters, and they had an even more dramatic impact. We cannot question what God's call is or be bitter. I wanted to do this, but God gave you this. My mom's calling always was to be a mother and a great wife. She has made that very clear over the years. And, uh, and she said, my goal, my desire is to help you all become as good, as godly as you possibly can be and to help raise you in a way that would be God-honoring. And she just enjoys and celebrates and still encourages with any goal that's, that's accomplished, whether in ministry full-time or in our careers or with our families. She really saw her role as, I'm going to uplift our family. That's going to be my role. And that meant some things for her, by the way. 
when dad was out preaching, he was doing revivals, he was traveling. Uh, he was not home a whole lot during that time. And I remember a few years later after that, I went to mom and I said, Mom, you know, a lot of preachers' kids talk about how their dad's gone all the time. They get resentful of the church. I said, I never felt that way. I never felt resentful. And I, I, dad was there all the time. She said, are you serious? I said, yeah, dad was there all the time. She said, no, he wasn't. He was as busy as he could be. And she said, oh, she said, here's the reason. She said, every time he was out preaching or doing something, I always called him and told him what you all were doing so that he knew. And every time I talked about him in front of you children, I always talked about how great it was that God was using him in these awesome ways. And he's doing amazing things for the kingdom of God. And he loves you and he cares for you. And she sort of became his ambassador so that we would always have this positive view of what he was doing. It would have been a whole lot easier for her to go, oh, I'm so bitter. My life is just a mess. Why can't I get to do those great things that he gets to do? And I have to be stuck here with these four kids. I mean, after all, one of them is going to be an attorney, and he's hard to deal with. But, I mean, this is the kind of thing she could have said. No. What did she say? It's positive. So, listen, when God calls you, you need to listen. And some people say, well, I can't hear it. Will become more and more accustomed to it. Read his word and be prayerful and be aware. And, and if you're always looking for the dramatic, you may miss the still small voice that God has. Here's a third lesson. God sometimes calls us to a difficult task. Listen to verse 11. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I'm about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. And at that time, I will carry out against Eli um, Everything I spoke against his family from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or offering. Wow. Max Dupree, author of a number of leadership books said, Never insult someone by giving them an easy job. And God gave Samuel a very difficult message. Samuel was to go to Eli and give him the message that this, that this burden would be a bear, a bear, something that Eli would have to bear forever. Now, it's hard to give difficult messages. It's hard for a doctor to give bad news. It's, um, it was difficult for prophets, I'm sure, in the Old Testament to deliver bad news, repent or, or perish. But Samuel received a pronouncement against the house of Eli, and God gave him a specific, specific message, and he said, I want you to carry this out. And then the message is, no prayers, no sacrifices are going to help. These will be consequences on his family. And verse 15 says, Samuel laid down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, here I am. What was it he said to you, Eli asked do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide anything from me that he told you. And so Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, he is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. Samuel dreaded telling the aging priest what God said, but God delivered him, he delivered a message exactly as God wanted him to give it. And although God's words were not easy to repeat, Samuel did it. He was faithful to God's call. And friends, the point is, sometimes God calls you to something that's challenging, something that's difficult, something that's hard. It, it may be going to a different country, or it might be going to your one backyard with your neighbor that you can't stand, and God is giving you a message to give to them. 
And it's a message that, that they need to follow, a message from the Lord. Uh, and maybe you have to figure out a way to present that in a way that's loving or encouraging or helpful. But how do you do that? In the end, the gospel is good news. It's always going to be about a cure, but sometimes it's challenging to give those messages. So there's a temptation all the time for spiritual leaders to soften the message and say just whatever itching ears want to hear. That's what Paul said to Timothy, that there's going to come a day that people won't tolerate tough messages. They'll rally around Christian leaders who are more likely to tell you that you're going to be healthy and wealthy and prosperous if you just follow God. Rather than the difficult truths of Scripture, repent or perish. But we also know that the message is worthwhile. The Bible says we are entrusted with the manifold grace of God. It is not our task to alter the message so it pleases people, but to deliver the gospel as it was entrusted to us. Here's a, here's a message that's tough. Ezekiel 3, 18 and 19. Listen to this. This sobers me. When I say to, you, say to a wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not warn him or speak out to dissuade him from his evil ways in order to save his life, That wicked man will die for his sin, and I will hold you accountable for his blood. But if you do warn the wicked man, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his evil ways, he will die for his sin, but you will save yourself. That's a tough, sobering passage, isn't it? Share the message. Because not only are they accountable, we're accountable to sharing the message to people. And so we have to warn people of judgment. And when we do, it's not just for their benefit, it's for ours. The good news is hope for Christ. That he gives you hope for eternal life, but it's also a difficult message because it took a cross to save them. For the wage of sin is death. So listen, if you proclaim his truth boldly and clearly, he's going to honor that. I don't think we should do it on street corners with megaphones, but I do think we should do it through relationships with people. Where we love the person so much that we remind them how much God loves them. How much God has cared for them. And how much we need Christ in their lives. You know, um, God uses our messages even when we feel like he doesn't. The Bible says he will, the, wor- the word of God will not return empty, but will accomplish what he desires and, uh, and achieve the purpose for which I've sent it. So sometimes even if you share some message about Christ or something that was spoken about in church or something that was meaningful to you to somebody else and it's not received well, well, you just got to know that God's going to be faithful with that message. You don't have to be in charge of the results. You're just the deliverer of the information. And sometimes I preach messages from the Bible, and I feel like, sometimes I feel like, well, that was a good message. I feel like I kind of got that one right. The other times I preach, I'm like, well, that, I kind of bombed on that one. You know, that was, a, that was a kind of a doozy. Let's just all stop in the middle and go, look, this isn't going well. Let's just quit right now. And, man, but it's oftentimes in the middle of those ones that I feel like this is terrible that people come out and say, oh, that was a great message, preacher. I really needed to hear that. I go, were you in the same room I was in? Because I don't really know. That was really not that great. And, uh, but man, what I've learned is the Holy Spirit of God, despite our best or worst efforts, speaks in the heart of people in a way that we can't control. And when we think we're in control of it, oftentimes we walk out going, man, that was a great message. That was great. And maybe it did or didn't affect people. You don't know. But Samuel was given this difficult message, but he delivered it faithfully. Our job is to be faithful ambassadors of Christ. You see, when he calls you, While he has called some to specific roles, sometimes dramatically, more often than not, God calls us in those daily relationships with people where we share the word of God faithfully. One of God's messages to us is what? That all of us would repent 
all of us would not perish. All of us would come to faith in Christ. It's a message from God to every single person around the world. Whosoever will will come. That's a message that everybody needs to hear, and you're, you're obligated to share it. God calls you for that. God calls every single one of us as parents to raise our kids in godly homes and disciple those children and do our best with that. God calls every one of us to love the local church. It's his bride. It's his family. It's his team. You cannot hate the church and love God. It's like telling somebody, I hate your bride, but I love you. You need to be able to say, I love both of you. The bride of Christ is the one, the church that Christ died for. He gave his life up for it. So he calls every one of us to love. He calls every one of us to love his church. There are things that he calls every one of us to, and then there are times where he steps in and he gives you a a special message from God. And I want to tell every single one of you, God does have a plan for your life. He has a purpose. And and I would just begin praying, God, what's next? God, I don't don't need to know like the 10 steps down, but could you just tell me what's next? The Bible says that his word is like a light, like a lamp to our feet. In other words, God gives you just enough light to be able to see what's next ahead of you. So some of you need to be praying, God, what's next in my life? God, like Samuel, I'd love to have that moment, God, where I know. and, And listen, I've learned that God speaks in the moments when we are faithful to him, that when we're faithful, unless it's a message of repentance. And when you're faithful to him, God then steps into your reality in some way and gives you a little mid-course correction. Says, hey, I want you to go this direction instead. I know you thought this was the right way, but I'm going to kind of lead you. And there'll be an open door, and there'll be somebody that will confirm that in your life, like my wife. And, and, and somebody that will have a moment like that, and like Lisa comes and says, Stephen, I think we're supposed to plant a church. And so what's my obligation? Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. God, what, what message do you have for me? So, friends, what is God calling you to next? He does have a plan for your life. You be faithful in those little things. Oh, you be a faithful parent. You be praying for your children. You be looking for opportunities to share the gospel. You love the church because it's the bride of Christ. You do these things because that's what God's asked of all of us. And, uh, and then along the journey, you look for those times where God steps into your reality and directs you in a certain way. And just begin to pray, God, God. What do you have for me? Hebrews 3, 7, and 8 says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. The Bible also says, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. So we're going to spend just just a few moments here, and we're going to kind of bring the lights down. And I want you to spend some moments. And here's the prayer I want you to ask. God, speak. Your servants are listening. Whether God does that in this moment, or not, but it, maybe it's a beginning for you to begin that process of saying, God, what do you have in store for me? Speak, God, your servant is listening. Let's spend some moments in just quiet prayer before the Lord. is God revealing to you? Is it a sin that you need to to walk away from? Is it a relationship you need to restore?
Is it a decision that you need to make? Maybe that first time decision to say yes to Jesus. I receive your forgiveness, your grace. I repent of my sin. I confess that you are Lord of my life. I want to submit to you in baptism, be raised to new life. Is that your message from the Lord? I need to step up in a leadership area. God's calling me to something specific. Is God's message to you to do something in service? Project 215, jumping on board in some way. Offering forgiveness to someone or a hand of grace that needed to be given. Saying you're sorry about something. Reconciling with your spouse. Doing some, something great for the kingdom of God. Moving beyond your day-to-day comfort and doing something for the great, great, greatness of the kingdom. Speak, Lord. Servants are listening. God, help us to follow the example of Samuel, that young boy who was able to hear and listen and respond to your voice. God, help us to do likewise, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to spend some time taking communion this morning. The guys are going to come now. And uh, as you do, you're welcome to partake. If you're a believer in Jesus, the bread represents his body. The juice represents his blood. Take it in remembrance of him. Thank you.